Father, thank you for a most beautiful day. Thank you for the opportunity to come into your house to worship you and to praise you. We thank you for this gathering. And we pray, Lord, your blessing and your anointing upon us that, God, we would hear what the Spirit of God would say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. I'd like to preach this morning... uh, The sermon title is Consider the Moment. Uh, A few weeks ago, I preached concerning a little while, concerned time. Last week, I preached on time management, which again was related to time. And this last sermon in the series is Consider the Moment. What is a moment? It's a brief period. It's an instant a second, a minute, or a flash. We have to ask ourselves a question, what can happen in a moment? Conception, a child can be conceived, a birth, a death, ups and downs, joys and sorrows, victories and defeats can happen in one brief moment. James said it best concerning life. James 4 and 14 reads, For what is your life? It's a question. It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. The question is, what is your life? And we have to define it. Everyone has to define who they are in Christ. Eternal life is so important to us when we look at verse James 4.14. Because life is like steam coming out of a steam pot. It's here today and gone tomorrow. But the fact that we have eternal life, that we can live forever beyond this life, is monumentous. So when James said, what is your life? It's even just a vapor. We have to define that life and what we're going to do with it. Is it pleasing to God? Are we obedient? Are we dedicated? Only questions that we can ask ourselves personally and give ourselves the answer. Is it committed, our life, to the values and principles of the Bible? Are we really committed to God's word? Do we practice God's word? Or do we tell people we're a Christian, but we live some other way? Your life is one that you will give account for before God. And that in itself is a scary thought. That we will have to give account For our life, one day, we will have to stand online and look at God face to face. Let's talk about moments. In Matthew chapter 6 and verse 33, it says, But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Verse 34, Take therefore no thought for tomorrow, for tomorrow shall take thought for the things of itself. Sufficient unto the day is the evil thereof. What God is saying here is separate moments of anxiety, that's the evil of today, and compare it to the moments of enjoyment and the moments of embracement as we do the kingdom of God. This is saying don't worry about tomorrow because tomorrow will have its own worries. Troubles today are enough to deal with. 
We never know how a day is going to be. In a moment, things can change. In a moment, life can change. In a moment, our situation can change. The word evil here means depravity, means maliciousness, wickedness. It's the evil and the anxiety that surrounds our lives and tries to injure our body, soul, and our spirit. We must acknowledge that even as Christians, we have troubles and anxieties that sometimes plague us. Sometimes when we become Christians, we think we have been made perfect. We've been forgiven. And we have many things that we have to deal with in the course of our journey. It's called sanctification. God trying to separate us from those things that have plagued us and weighed us down in our past. And some of that is anxiety. Some people have panic attacks. I have experienced that. Some people have anxiety. And we have to look at those moments and realize the giant that's in our life, but look to the person of Jesus Christ who can conquer that giant. So many times we borrow from tomorrow and we fail to enjoy the moments of today. You can't enjoy the present moment if your mind is either in the past or so far into the future. I always try to teach people that we have to get away from our past. But sometimes we get bogged down in the future. And as a result, we don't live in the present moment and enjoy the moment that God has given us. It takes practice to enjoy the present moment. It takes diligence. It takes commitment to enjoy the present moment. Because we're belabored by things of the past. We're belabored by what we have to do tomorrow and prepare for the next five years or ten years or whatever. So we borrow from tomorrow. And as a result, we don't enjoy the day that we're living. Too many people are taking big bites out of tomorrow and ignoring the small bites of today. Sometimes we bite more off than we can chew. Sometimes we stuff our mouths with too much food and we almost choke on it. Don't think you can take such big bites out of tomorrow without having those bites choke you today. If we don't take small bites, if we don't chew them, if we don't digest them, then we'll, we will be able to process those small bites into something constructive. People are trying to go so fast down the road. Our plans are so futuristic that we never live in the present moment. Should we be prepared for the future? Absolutely. A prudent man looks ahead. But a series of small bites begins to equal a big bite. And when we look back, we'll see the progress that's being made. Inch by inch, step by step, is the process of life. People want to get there before they're here. We're not going to solve every problem today. We're not going to right every wrong today. We're not going to make every crooked road straight. But what God gives us today to solve, and what God gives us today to make right or work on, is that which we should enjoy and embrace because it's that which God is involved in today at this moment in your life. Solve what you can today in Him. Do what you can today in Him. God is in the present moment. I always say to people, there's power in the present moment. There's power in the present moment. You can't borrow from tomorrow. 
And you can't take from the past. You can only learn from it. He is a right now God. In the Bible, in Matthew 14 and verse 22, the disciples had a moment. And straightway Jesus constrained his disciples to get into a ship and to go before him unto the other side while the multitudes went away. And when he had sent the multitudes away, he went into a mountain apart to pray. And when the evening was come, he was there alone. But the ship was now in the midst of the sea, tossed with waves, for the wind was contrary. And in the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went unto them, walking on the sea. And when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were troubled, saying, It's a spirit. And they cried out for fear. But straightway Jesus spake unto them and said, Be of good cheer, it is I, be not afraid. You see, the disciples did not see Jesus in their present moment of anxiety. The disciples did not see the master in their present moment of anxiety. They did not see Jesus turning this this experience into a moment of learning, victory, and enjoyment. All they saw was the storm. All they believed was, was they were going to drown. All they believed that day was this was the last day of their life. That's all they could accept at that moment. Until Jesus came and calmed them right away and said, It is I, be not afraid, be of good cheer. They did not see Jesus as the God of today or the God of the moment, but resigned themselves to the fact that they were going to drown. And sometimes when we go through anxieties of today, we don't see God and Jesus as the God of the moment. We don't see Him walking toward our boat. We don't see Him walking toward our situation. And we look for answers that are ex-cathedra from the Bible. We look for people's opinions sometimes. And I'm not saying that's wrong. But we must first go to God in that great storm of anxiety. We give into defeat sometimes so quickly and so easily. And we throw our hands up and say, well, what's the use? Que sera, sera. What will be, what will be. Moments of anxiety. Jesus said they're sufficient for today. But don't discount the fact that Christ is in those present moments of anxiety. How about moments of temptation? The enemy will come and tempt you with big bites. Let me say that again. Moments of temptation. The enemy will come and tempt you with big bites. Luke chapter 4 verse 5 reads this, And the devil, taking him into a high mountain, showed unto him all the kingdoms of the world, look at the words now, in a moment of time. In a moment. Look what I can give you, Jesus. In a moment. Look how I can tempt you. In a moment, I can make you king. Look at this. I have power right now. In a moment of time, and the devil said unto him, All this power will I give thee, and the glory of them, for that is delivered unto me, and to whosoever I will give it. If thou therefore will worship me, all shall be thine. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Get thee behind me, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Look at verse number 7. In the Amplified Version, it says, Therefore, if you will do homage to me and worship me just once, just once, cross the line, Jesus, come on, in your moment of temptation, just go there. Give into it. 
just once, it shall be yours. Just once means one wrong decision today will determine your every tomorrow. We cannot break God's law. We cannot violate the scriptures. We may practice denial. We may say, well, God has a different standard for me than for you. We might say that. But you're going to get burned. You know how I know that? Because the book of Proverbs says this. Can a man take fire to his bosom and not get burned? Can a man take fire to his bosom and not be burned? Your future and your destiny may never be the same because of that one wrong decision of giving in to the moment of temptation. What you decide today will affect all of your tomorrows. Let's look at this in a moment. In a moment of time, while some moments should not be rushed but enjoyed, moments of temptation need to be processed quickly. You understand the difference? Oh, we should enjoy that barbecue. We should enjoy having our family. We should enjoy that birthday party. We should enjoy it. We should enjoy going and sitting down by the lake in Skinny Atlas and just watching the water come in and out. We should enjoy that. But moments of temptation, we should rush right through. Don't let it bite you. Resist it. Because the penalty will have to be paid somewhere down the road when you sign that check. When you sign that check, the devil is going to cash it. You can justify, you can make excuses, you can use every defense mechanism in the world and say, hey, I'm only human. But God's word is God's word and it's law. When the offer is made by the enemy, you must allow Jesus to help you take care of it quickly. The longer we maintain or prolong moments that we have the potential to turn into sin, the greater the opportunity for the enemy to get us to fall. It kind of reminds me of the couple that was in their house. And they wanted to become intimate. And they were supposedly Christians and they said, Lord, if you don't want us to do this and cross this line, have somebody knock on our door right now. Hmm. Right now, Lord, have someone knock on our door. I remember many years ago, we were in a church, many young folks, and a lot of people were being won to the Lord on the streets. I believe there was over 400 people won to the Lord Jesus through that ministry on the streets in a few years. And one of the young men and women that we witnessed to were living together. And they were quite intimate. And we brought them Jesus. We told them about Christ and about God. And they were so overwhelmed with the love of Jesus and the forgiveness of God that they decided to separate until they were married. What a great moment for the church. What a great moment for Christianity. When two folks who were sinners 
and didn't know much about God, said, we will separate because it's not pleasing to God because he has convicted our soul. Think about the power that was in that moment. Think about the power of resistance. Think about the power of abstinence and sobriety in that situation. Here's what happened in Genesis chapter 3 verse 1. This is where all of the trouble began. Because someone did not rush through a moment of temptation and allow God to swallow it. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said? Here's the doubt now. Here's the double standard. You shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Did God say that? And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God had said, You shall neither eat it, neither shall you touch it, lest you die. He had her twisted right there. Because that was not what God said about touching it. And the serpent said unto the woman, You shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day you eat thereof, that your eyes shall be opened, and you shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, and she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. What happened? In the Garden of Eden, Eve made the mistake of entertaining the conversation of the enemy. It's okay, Eve. It's okay. You can eat of that tree. You're not going to die. What kind of God do you serve that would make you die spiritually, emotionally? What, what, what kind of God would take you out of this paradise? What kind of God doesn't want you to be happy? What, what kind of God doesn't want you to have everything? What happened? She lingered. Just like Lot's wife lingered. She lingered so long in that moment that she was deceived and caused a great upheaval in her soul. Adam, who entertained the conversation of Eve. Come on, Adam. And you know, I just want to put a spin on it. And this is just me. And you might find this disrespectful, but I really believe this. When God put Adam and Eve together in the garden, it had to be a perfect sexual experience. Because there was no sin. There was nothing to impede the situation. But when Eve partook of the tree, and Adam was probably contemplating what he should do, because God took him and put him in the garden to manage it, is it possible that Eve said, have you liked that sexual experience that you've been experiencing with me for this time? Well, if you don't partake, this is just my own little theory then you can forget it, mister, and sleep on the couch. Have you ever thought about that? I have. Because that's what takes place in modern day marriages today. It's just a reenactment of what happened in the Garden of Eden. Adam entertained the conversation of Eve too long. He became disobedient and he allowed sin to come into his heart. And as a result, all of mankind was cursed. You cannot break the laws of God and not be cursed. It's impossible. The law is the law. If you go through the red light, you're probably going to get a ticket. Oh, but people say, hey, I went through the red light three times last week, but I didn't get a ticket. But listen, payday isn't always on Friday. Payday isn't always on Friday. There's moments of testing. 
in the book of Genesis chapter 32. And he took them and sent them over the brook and sent over what he had. And Jacob was left alone. You know, sometimes God leaves you alone to get your attention. And there wrestled a man with him until the break of day. And when he saw he, that he prevailed not against him, he touched the hollow of his thigh, and the hollow of Jacob's thigh was out of joint as he wrestled with him. And he said, Let me go, for thy day breaketh. And he said, I will not let you go, except thou bless me. And he said unto him, What is thy name? And he said, Jacob. And he said, Thy name shall be called no more Jacob, but Israel. For as a prince hast thou power with God and with men, and hast prevailed. This was a moment of testing for Jacob. And we will have those moments. We'll have moments of anxiety. We will have moments of temptation. We'll have moments of testing. You see, Jacob was not enjoying the moment when he was wrestling with God. And neither do we enjoy the moment when God convicts us in our spirit and in our conscience. We can try to put it out. We can blame others. As Eve blamed the serpent. And Adam blamed this woman that you gave me. And that blame game goes on and on and on in society. Because it's part of the curse. We can even enjoy the moment of testing when God is dealing with us and convicting us to change. Because if God is giving you a moment of testing, he's trying to bring you from one point to the next point. God did not want Jacob to be re remain stagnant spiritually and emotionally and socially. So he did something. He gave him a moment of discomfort. He gave him a moment of testing. And we must put the testing in perspective that God wants to take something out of our life and give us something better as a replacement. Are you hearing what I'm saying this morning through Christ? God gets you alone for a reason. To get something out. To give you something that you didn't have before. What did he say about the children of Israel? He said, I brought you out to bring you in. I brought you out to bring you in. Moments of testing bring us out to bring us into the presence of God. As a matter of fact, Peter detailed this in 1 Peter 1 and 6. He said, Wherein greatly rejoice, though now for a season, a moment, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. And believe it or not, the word rejoice, which we don't really practice that much, means to leap or jump for joy and say, thank you, God, for the moment you're testing me. <laughs> How many of us leap for joy on our pogo stick spiritually and say, God, oh, thank you for this moment of testing. But it turns into a great moment if we align ourselves with God. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It says, for a season, which means a present moment. Testing doesn't last forever. And it says, if need be. Look at the word. We're in greatly rejoiced, though now for a season, if need be. It's necessary, God says, that I test you. There's a need for this. It behooves. It's the right and proper thing. It's necessary for your spiritual growth. You must go through testing. How can you pass a school course? if the professor doesn't give you a test on what you know or don't know? How is he going to assess your score? Or well, is it any different with God that he tests us? Because we will get a report card at the end of the day and more assuredly at the end of our life. 
What does it say? If need be, you are in heaviness. Those are moments of sorrow. Those are moments of sadness. Those are moments of grief. Those are moments of offense. Those are moments of uneasiness. Those are moments of pain, annoyance, and affliction. Testing is not sweet at times. It's hard. It takes a lot to go through a test. And it says what? Through manifold temptations, which means many or divers or various temptations. God is saying something to us. He's saying, listen, I'm going to allow you to be tempted. I'm going to test you. I'm going to see what you do under fire. It's kind of like sports. When they put the quarterback in, it's great in practice that he can throw that ball 60 or 70 yards and hit that wide receiver on a dime. But what do you do when you're in game conditions? What do you do when you're being tested? What are you doing when those men on the opposite side of you are looking at you and saying, we're coming for you? We're going to run. We're going to rush. We're big dudes. We're six foot six and we're 320 pounds and we're going to mow you over. Oh, it's a whole lot different when you're being protected in practice and you got your little shorts on and your little t-shirt and you're throwing passes to your wide receiver. Now you're in the game. That's what we're in. We're soldiers in the army of the Lord and we're going to be tested. We're going to be tempted. We're going to have moments of anxiety. We're going to have moments of perseverance that we have to say, God, only through your power and only through your endurance can I make it through this moment. Can you say amen? amen? It says what? It says, wherein greatly rejoice, though now for a season, for a moment, if need be, you are in heaviness through manifold temptations. Then it says that the trial of your faith, there's your report card, that the trial of your faith, being much more precious than of gold that perish it, though if it be tried with fire, might be found unto praise and honor and glory at the appearing of Jesus Christ. What's the trial? It's the testing. We don't want to fail that test. This is more than a spelling test. This is more than a history test. This is testing your faith. This is testing who you are. This is defining who you are at that moment. Anyone can live as a Christian under the best conditions. Any of us can live under the best conditions. When your cupboards are full and the rent is paid and your mortgage is on time and you got money in your pocket, life is good, man. Life is great. But when you're coming up a little short and the car breaks down unexpectedly and the water heater goes in your house unexpectedly and the toaster just blew up unexpectedly, you're saying to yourself, what else is going to happen? That's the moment of testing. That's the moment of pressure. Can we produce under pressure? Can that quarterback produce under pressure? Can that athlete under pressure, while he's in that war, fighting for a victory, can he produce uh, success? Can he produce victory? What does God say? He says in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, this is God saying you're going to be tested. He says, behold, I will send my messenger, and he shall prepare the way before me. And the Lord whom you seek shall suddenly come to the temple, even the messenger of the covenant, and whom you delight. Behold, he shall come with the Lord of hosts. What's, what's he saying? God sometimes allows things to happen suddenly in the moment. We're off guard. God says, well, how are you going to react to this now? Because this has just been thrown into your lap. But look what verse 3 says of Malachi 3. But who may abide the day of his coming? And who shall stand when he appears? 
for he is like a refiner's fire and like fuller's soap. And he shall sit as the refiner and purifier of silver. And he shall purify the sons of Levi, that's us, and purge them as gold and silver, that they may offer unto the Lord an offering in righteousness. Then shall the offering of Judah and Jerusalem be pleasant unto the Lord, as in the days of old, as in former days. Judah was the priesthood of praise. Rejoice. God's going to allow moments of anxiety. He's going to allow moments of temptation. He's going to allow moments of testing so he can purify the sons of Levi. And sometimes it looks like God's going to disappear from us for a moment because he says it in the word in Isaiah 54 and 7. For a small moment I have forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Listen to this meaning of this scripture. We've all experienced this. And don't tell me you haven't turned and said, well, God, where are you? I know I love you. I, 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 I know I'm saved. I, I know my sins are forgiven. But Lord, this is hard. This is heavy. This is seemingly going to take me out. And Lord, where are you at this moment? Pastors preaching about moments. Lord, I'm in the boat and I'm drowning and I have fear and I don't know what to do. Heaviness is all around me. I'm surrounded like with wagon trains. There's a fire on every front. And you come and say through Isaiah, for a small moment I have forsaken thee. Come on. When I need you the most. You're saying what for a small moment? A moment is a moment of time. I have forsaken thee, but with great mercies will I gather thee. Let me show you what God is saying here. This word moment in Hebrew means a wink of the eye. You can't even blink that fast. It means a very short space of time. That suddenly something comes to you that tosses you violently. And suddenly, like the waves in the sea, it's like Job's boils on his skin. But it's not the end of the definition. Because God says, for a moment, you have to go through this. For a moment, you're going to experience the violent waves of the sea. For a moment, you might experience the boils upon your skin. For a moment. But with great mercies will I gather thee. You know what that means? The end part of that definition of the word moment means to settle, to become quiet, to find ease, and to make someone to rest. It's a progression that we have to go through. You see, sometimes we think we're forsaken because we think God isn't on time. But God is always on time. And God is a God of progression. You see, when you get saved, you get forgiven. But now you're on a journey of progression. And that's the doctrine of sanctification, that God progresses our lives as He sanctifies us and separates us from those things that don't belong in our life. And God is saying this, yeah, for a moment I allowed you to endure the trial. For a moment, yes, the violent storm came upon you, disciples, in Matthew 14. 
And yes, child of God, son of God, endured of God, sometimes you're going through extreme moments of anxiety and temptation and testing. But let me tell you the other side of the river. It's going to come out on the other side. I will give you quietness. I will give you rest. I will give you ease. I will lay you down in green pastures. I will take you by the side of the lake. And you will hear the sound of many waters, which is my voice. And I will speak to you. Praise God. Peace be still. And the storm and the winds will stop. Don't give up in that moment. God will allow you because he's going to test you. He says, for in a small moment, I have forsaken you. God says, I've just loosened my hold a little bit on you. Just a little bit. But I'm still here. It's kind of like a parent. You know, when a child starts to sow their oats, so to speak, and you're a parent. And sometimes you, you have to learn to take your hand off the child for a while. You still love them. You still care. And you're still there. But for a moment, you sort of withdraw. Not your love, but your physical space. And you say to the child, this is what Mom says, this is what dad says. This is the caution that we give you. But seemingly, for the moment, you have to go through some stuff. And when you complete what you're going through, which we don't agree with, mom and dad will be there to give you quietness, rest, and peace as we discuss the situation that you entered in against what we said. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Sometimes as a parent, you got to let go and let God. Sometimes in relationships, you have to let go and let God. You can't force it. You have to let it take its course. You have to allow the river to flow. You have to allow the bridge to be built. And sometimes it's seemingly God takes his time and, and what he's doing. But God will come. Now there's also moments of discouragement. And we have to deal with that. There's moments of anxiety. There's moments of temptation. There's moments of tempting. There's moments when God is testing us. But there's moments of discouragement. Haggai chapter 2 verse 3 the prophet said who is left among you that saw this house in its first glory and how did you see it now is it not in your eyes in comparison of it as nothing yet now be strong O Zerubbabel saith the Lord and be strong O Joshua son of Josedek the high priest and be strong O you people of the land saith the Lord and work for I am with you saith the Lord of hosts. What happened here? Some of these folks saw Solomon's temple that was built. They went into captivity. And they were brought back. And they started to build a new temple. Cinder block. Pretty basic. Pretty plain. 
No chandeliers, no great cathedral, no high ceilings. Nothing like that. And they started to get discouraged because what they were building wasn't going to be as beautiful as what Solomon had built. And they were remembering this. And in their remembrance, they were becoming discouraged. But what they didn't realize was this, that God was saying that what they were building would contain a greater glory of God than what was previously built in Solomon's temple. Now mind you, the power of God and the presence of God was so strong in Solomon's temple that people fell out in the spirit as they were overwhelmed by the Shekinah glory of God. And the Lord is saying, in this cinder block building, it's possible. God is saying, I'm telling you that this is going to happen. In Haggai chapter 2 verse 9, the glory of this latter house, the cinder block church, shall be greater than the former, Solomon's temple, saith the Lord of hosts, and in this place will I give peace, saith the Lord of hosts. Sometimes we think bigger is better. Sometimes we think more is prosperous. God is saying, I know you're discouraged. I know you're looking back, some of you, and you're seeing that monumental building, temple that was built at, was just gorgeous, golden laid, every stone intact, every stone fitting together perfectly. God was on the scene. And now you're setting cinder block, so to speak. And you're building a plain building. And God said, I want to tell you something. The glory that will be in this house will be greater than the glory that was in that house. And I look at that as the last day church. You see, the glory came on the day of Pentecost. See, the glory came in the temple. The glory came in the days of Zerubbabel. But God says, and I believe the word says this, that the former reign and the latter reign is going to be combined in the last days. And it's going to fall upon those that want to be reigned upon spiritually by God. And the glory of God is going to be greater in our lives than it was in years before. God is not done. God is not finished. There is going to be victory in the church. There's going to be a church. There's going to be a group of people. There's going to be a remnant of people that say, Jesus, we want you and we want you exclusively. And we want you to fall upon us and let your glory settle upon us. And the anointing of God that would break the yoke of bondage, give us a word in the time of trouble to give to others hope and encouragement to dispel the discouragement that's coming upon the face of the earth. Folks, we will have moments of victory. And the ultimate victory came over 2,000 years ago. When Jesus went to the cross, he enjoyed the moment of crucifixion, knowing man's sins would be nailed to the cross. Sometimes it's hard to enjoy our moments of crucifixion. Hear me for a few more minutes. Come on, Pastor. You want me to enjoy moments of crucifixion? You want me to enjoy a Garden of Gethsemane experience? Really? No, I'm not saying that. But I believe God's saying that because 
Victory will come from crucifixion. This past Wednesday evening, we taught upon that in order for resurrection to take place, death has to take place. Marvelous study. A corn of wheat has to fall on the ground and die before it could bring life. And sometimes our visions and our hopes and our dreams for this and for that and for all these other things have to be swallowed up by God and die so that God can resurrect that hope and that dream and that vision of what he wants in our life. Who would have thought when Jesus said to the disciples, the Son of Man must be crucified? The Son of Man must go. How, what did the disciples think that day when they saw their leader, their king, who they thought was going to take over the Roman government and give everybody a good job? Everyone having a tablet and a cell phone. Everyone having a computer. Who would have thought that moment of crucifixion is sometimes difficult to see the victory. Sometimes it's hard to say it is finished. It's hard to say, Lord, I give up. It's hard to wave the white flag and give in and submit and say, okay, okay, I got it. I'm crucified with Christ. But nonetheless, I live. For the faith of the Son of God liveth in me. Nail me to the cross. Nail my sins. Nail my determination. Nail my stubbornness. Nail my pride. Nail my dreams. Nail my vision. Let it die. And help me to say it is finished. I give up. I'm expending no more energy trying to make this perfect. That's what people do in relationship. They work harder than their partner to make it work. And trust me, when you're working harder than that person, it will fail. Hear what I'm saying. When I work harder than my clients, I'm in failure. (laughs) You can't. When you're working with a person who has a drug problem or an alcohol problem and you're working harder than them, you're working too hard. They're not getting it. Until they begin to say, it is finished. I've hit my bottom. I can't take no more. I'm sick and tired of being sick and tired. And now I'm open to your words and your wisdom and your know-how. Thank you for helping me. That's when victory comes. Through crucifixion. When we do his will, we will know victory. Our death and our dying to self will give way to a trusting in God, knowing that he's sufficient. Proverbs 3, 5 says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not to thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. Quit trying to figure it out. Quit trying to map it out. Quit trying to give yourself a blueprint on how this is going to work. Because it says in 2 Corinthians 3, 5, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, But our sufficiency is of God. You know what God's saying? You're not that good. That's right. You're just not that good. You know what God's saying as we say in the system that I work in the prison? Your game is not that tight. (laughs) It's just not tight, son. Your game is not that tight. You need to do something different. And then we say these words, your best thinking got you here. And sometimes as Christians, our best thinking gets us where we are. And we don't like where we are. But we make those decisions. And we decide. 
And we put ourselves there and then we get mad at God and say, oh God, why am I here? Because God says, you chose to eat the apple. And now you get a consequence. Like we said on Wednesday night, it's either fruits or consequences. Fruits or consequences. That was the Bible study on Wednesday night. Fruits or consequences. A present under the tree for Christmas or a sock of coal. Which one do you want? That's what God is saying. It's really simple. He says in Hebrews 12 and 2, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of God. When Jesus died on the cross, the enemy thought it was a sign of victory for him and for the kingdom of darkness. But the enemy did not understand the battle cry. And the battle cry was in John 19 and 30 when Jesus said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. And the devil thought, I got it. The old black preacher used to preach. It's Friday, but Sunday is a coming. I'll be in the tomb for three days and three nights, fellas. Meet me in Galilee for lunch. You see, God said, hey, meet me at Laska's for lunch in three days. He told me, meet me in Galilee. No, they hopped down to McDonald's and they got a happy meal. They supersized it. They got the fries and the big Coke. They didn't care what the mayor said down in New York. They supersized their sugar drink. Got an extra large. Went to the upper room. Was munching down on their meat and drink and their fries, so to speak. And Jesus walks right through the room, right through the walls. And he upbraids them uh, for eating meat and upbraids their heart. And says, hey, fellas, what are you doing? Would you stop and get a Big Mac? I told you to meet me in Alaska's in Galilee for lunch. <laughs> and they're looking at him and saying, it's him. Yeah. I told you in three days this temple will be broken down and three days and three days it'll be rebuilt. They thought it was the temple, the building. No, it was the body. Let's say, let me tell you something. In that tomb, praise God, hallelujah, praise God, the Holy Spirit came and all of a sudden life came back into that body and Jesus rose from the dead. Hallelujah. He's the resurrection and the life. When he said it is finished, it was the battle cry of the Romans. When they won a victory, the Roman leader would stand on the highest rock and he would declare, it is finished. He was saying, we beat you. We won. We overcame the enemy. It is finished. And that's exactly what happened when Jesus was crucified. And he said, it is finished. Matthew 27, 50. Jesus, when he cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost, and behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom, and the earth did quake, and the rocks rent, and the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose, and came out of the graves after his resurrection, and went into the holy city, and appeared unto many. My God, there's Aunt Martha, there's Uncle Seymour, she, Grandma died 20 years ago, what's she doing here? Paul said 500 in the book of Corinthians. Started strewing the streets of Jerusalem. Oh, I don't believe that, Pastor. It doesn't matter what you believe. The word of God is the word of God. All of a sudden, here's Grandma. We, I know we buried you 20 years ago. Where, where'd you come from? From the grave? There's a great earthquake when Jesus rose from the dead. 
When he died on the cross and he rose and they came out of the graves after his resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now when the centurion, the soldier, and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared God saying, truly, this was the Son of God. That's faith. That's faith. To know that we have to go through Gethsemane sometimes. We have to go through great despair and great discouragement. But God says if you hold on and let the crucifixion take place in your life, you'll stand upon the highest rock also and you'll come to the house of God and you'll praise God and you'll say it is finished because I know victory will follow. And let me close with this. There's going to be further moments of rapture and victory and ultimate victory. Paul went to the church and he calmed them down and he said in 1 Corinthians 15 and 51, he says, Behold, I show you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trump, for the trumpet shall sound and the dead shall be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible shall have put on incorruption, and this mortal shall have put on immortality, Then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is thy sting? O grave, where is thy victory? The sting of death is sin, and the strength of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, which give us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. And then Paul said to the church at Thessalonica, as I close, in 1 Thessalonians 14 and 16, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. Then we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air and so shall we ever be with the Lord wherefore comfort one another with these words what's God saying moments of anxiety moments of temptation moments of testing moments of discouragement moments of despair Moments of crucifixion, but moments of victory, and moments one day of ultimate victory. Because there is life beyond the grave, and there is a hope beyond this world that we're living in. There is a place, there is a house, there is a mansion. It says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you that where I am, you may be also. God bless you. Thank you for listening.